This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and when you play Tempest, you want to hear a song like Subdivisions on the stereo. So next time you're in the Chicago area, rush over to the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I hate Congo Bongo. And he's Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Well, I guess I kind of blew our secret game, didn't I? <laughs> it's okay. With hatred like that, I guess it's spilling out of you. I have a completely different opinion about Congo Bongo. So this will be a, a show of contention. But we have other things to get to first. We do. We've got tons and tons of feedback. We have some news about the Underground Retrocade. Um, we got lots of stuff to talk about this week. Yeah. Do you want to start with feedback? Sure. Okay. Feedback. So we got some long feedback this week because uh, we're running a contest and we'll we'll draw a random winner, I guess, in our usual format uh, uh, in this episode. And how the contest was working was we're giving away, thanks to our sponsor, Underground Retrocade, we're giving away a Blu-ray of the Space Invaders. And so we asked people to write in. I mean, we get feedback from you guys every week and we love it. But this week we said... Uh, anybody who wants us to go to the extra mile and send us in some uh, a favorite arcade memory, like an early memory, arcade history, something like that, something a little long, a little longer maybe than just you know love the show, which we still like to hear. Mike in particular loves that stuff, and um, or <laughs> I like Pac Man. So because we we put the word out that we were looking for that, we got lots of feedback. And long, detailed letters that were just amazing. So we're going to be writing back to people. We don't have time on the show to read the feed, all the feedback this week because um, we got some long email, but some really great ones. So there's a couple I, we picked at random we thought we'd sort of talk about. And I thought first, before we get to those things, there's a couple of other also, coincidentally, long feedback we got that I think was worth bringing up because some people asked some good questions. One was uh, Vintage Volts, who's written in, of course, before. He says that, I think this was on Facebook, now that no quarter is is one year old. The games they discuss are now one year vintager. That being said, I feel vintager, com- I, like that. <laughs> I know me too. That being said, I feel compelled to chime in on what games I consider classic slash vintage slash worthy enough to discuss on No Quarter. Give us some tips here, vintage. So he says I tend to agree with Carrington, and you know what? That's a great way to begin a paragraph. I, I, I think we should just take a moment. And enjoy that phrase. I tend yeah, to agree with Carrington. Ah, oh, excellent. Uh, anyway, I tend to agree with Carrington in that the games of the 90s are considered next generation of sorts. And for that reason, could easily be reserved for a next generation of podcast discussions. And I'm totally with him on that. He says, sure. he says later on, but where I personally draw the line is with games mentioned on the last episode, like The Simpsons, etc., because they all seem to have fallen into a fixed mold. For the longest time, it was oh, all yeah. you could see in arcades, game after game with the same large screen, wide bodied control panel, side scrolling, beat them up with different side art. I'm completely with him on that. I, I too lump those into next generation, even if they came out of the 80s. Like, I just don't, I think of them as part of the next wave beyond the classic wave. So. I agree with all of that. So you two agree with Carrington. <laughs> I know. It's weird, right? It must be opposite. It's unusual. <laughs> the, the one, I guess, caveat to that is that the best experiences that I've had so far doing this, this podcast over the past year have been 
playing games that other people have recommended that are ones that if I saw them in the arcade, I wouldn't have played before. Oh, you know what? That's a good point. Yeah. The stuff that I had either never heard of before or passed on, but we got a recommendation from a listener. So I tried it out and then loved it. Right. Um, those are the best because they're like little classic arcade gifts. It brings a whole new game into my life that I wouldn't have otherwise had. So maybe I shouldn't be so dismissive. So I do find it hard to just completely, yeah, dismiss, especially an entire group of games. Good point. Good um, point. I'm, I'm always, I'm always open to suggestions, especially like I said from audience members about stuff that that I've never played before. But these are not games that I am going to recommend myself. So if you guys want to want us to play a specific game, you're going to have to ask for those because that's that's not one I'm going to pick. Yeah. He, in fact, uh, at the end of his email, uh, scrolling down to the bottom, he gives us a recommendation too. He says, so please continue to stay away from the next generation of arcade games and concentrate on the classics. I'd rather listen to a review of the moldy old game Laser Command by Meadows Ooh, yeah. Games than about the latest boss character in Streets of Rage 24. Uh, um, so I think that's... You know, I think in general, I completely agree with what you say. Like our focus for Mike and I definitely is on the classics. It's definitely on that period. We're thinking in terms of seventies and eighties. Um, but you know, we'll take it game. We're just going to take it a game at a time, man. Well, and if you remember, uh, the latest game that we played is actually from nineteen ninety, and that was Rampart. That's just crazy, man. That's crazy. Yep. That's too new. I think people shouldn't listen to that episode. Actually, that's such a good game. <laughs> okay, I'm wrong. That's and that, but that game, even though it's nineteen ninety, feels classic era to me. Whereas something from 1987 that's maybe a, a wide-body beat-em-up will feel 1990s to me. So I guess it's all about the feel. Uh, let's see. We, uh, Chris, another one I think we should bring up, wrote on Facebook as well. He, got, he says, I got about halfway through the episode on my way to work this morning. And as usual, it's a lot of fun. A few random comments. If you're interested in servo-operated four eight-way joysticks, which, of course, we brought up because of Quindunky's crazy make-me-jealous build that we talked about right. last week. Uh, he says, Ultimark has the servo stick available which can be set up automatically to switch yes. between four and eight ways by way of using MAME's knowledge. No user input required. I haven't tried it, but it sounds pretty slick. That does sound pretty slick. I didn't I even agree. know something like that existed. Now, I wonder, so it actually just automatically switches to servo thing. That's that's crazy slick. I like that idea. Anyway, so he also says, forget the haters. Crazy Balloon is lots of fun. I will say <laughs> that just based on the sound and graphics, it really feels like an Apple II game to me, which he's right because didn't Mike, didn't you say that it immediately made you think that that might be a Hackfest thing that you might do for next it's year? It's certainly something that's doable. Now, I don't know if I have the talent to do it. Sure you I... do. Oh, okay. Do it, man. Do it. <laughs> Everybody's doing it. Yeah, it's funny because we did get a lot of people wrote in or commented and stuff. We got a lot of feedback on Crazy Balloon with people saying, what are you guys talking about? That game blows. <laughs> but they're wrong, man. That game is really fun. I don't understand why we're so apart from our audience in this one, because I think Crazy Balloon is totally amazing. Well, some people enjoyed it. Us. We, we enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, let's see. So getting to the email, Douglas wrote in a great letter that was a contest entry talking about back in going to uh, Showbiz Pizza and and his love of Dragon's Lair and like to this day being really hooked on the Laserdisc games. And I really liked in his email how he was talking about how when he ran out of quarters, he realized like his young eight-year-old mind was not going to be able to do this game. He would just watch the game and just, you know, watch the, the intro because it was like watching a cartoon. And since then, like he, he's enjoyed watching them on YouTube and stuff. And I think he's right. When we talked about the Laserdisc game, I said as well, like you can just watch it as a great cartoon movie and it's almost yeah. as enjoyable as playing it. So uh, why I'm bringing up his email is he wrote a second email with a great question, I thought, which says, I have a question this week and you may have guessed it from the subject of this email. 
Actually, I don't remember what the subject was. I guess I cut and pasted these into our show notes. He says, I would like to know about good games with no buttons to push. This is partly because I will be restricted somewhat after reconstructive hand slash wrist surgery next month. No, guys, it's not for that. And also because I want a large list of these games for when my son gets old enough to play. Right now, I have Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man, Frogger, and Qbert on my list. Any other games you know of like this would be great. After all, I have got to raise the little man right. So I gave some thought to that. I thought we could maybe ask, throw it out to the audience as well and see, do other people have ideas of good classic arcade games that take no buttons? So I first started thinking along the lines of, well, there's really fun games like Berserk and Crazy Climber that have no buttons, but they use two joysticks. But then I realized, well, hold on, that's still using the second hand. The point isn't just no buttons. It's games you can play one-handed is the real way to go. So one thing I thought of was something like Zaxxon. Games that use a flight stick can still have a button, but the button's on the flight stick. So it still is a one-handed game. So that's an idea. But nothing else jumped to mind. I couldn't, you know, thinking about it, I couldn't think of anything else other than Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, Frogger, Qbert, and now Zaxxon. What about you, Mike? Anything jump out immediately as a no-button game or a one-handed game? Yeah, I thought for a while about this and couldn't come up with anything. I, Zaxxon didn't even occur to me, so. Well, I'm, I'm you know, thinking outside the box that way. You do that. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about boxes. No, if anyone has any suggestions, that'd be great, though. Because I suspect there are. And I think that would be a, you know, it's one of those things, like it's an enabling thing. So I, I'd love the idea of helping put together a list of games that can be played one-handed. Not just for this, but for just general use. So I think that's fantastic. I'd love to know other suggestions if somebody wants to write in with some. So let's see. Oh, we're now we come to one of my favorite emails. Roberta wrote in. She sent Ugh. us a really nice entry for the contest with an early arcade memory all about uh, uh, using tokens instead of quarters and her first experience with a environmental cabinet, Discs of Tron. And how- excuse, excuse me, I'm going to go warm up the band hammer. <laughs> no, because then she sent in a second email and it's the best email <sighs> ever because she says, uh, she sent a follow-up letter because we had asked about, I want, we were just kind of wondering offhand who won the first year. Carrington needed his ego inflated. Carrington does. Pump it up, baby. Pump it up. (laughs) So she wrote, I made a spreadsheet to add up all the scores for the year. Uh, In total, Mike had 2,168,646. And Carrington had 3,356,437. So Carrington won. Oh, what a great phrase. Yeah, whatever. Like she says, (laughs) scores don't really matter. She does, actually. Game scoring is different. She does. She says the really scores don't actually mean anything because some games are much higher scoring than others, such as you guys scored over 100,000 each on Flicky, but both basically scored nothing on Matt Media <laughs> and Sevius. So, okay, she's right there. There are a couple of numbers that do matter, though, and I'm sure that you're going to get to those next. I am, but I like that. She's right. We scored nothing on Matt Media. We had a couple of people. I think uh, Rob and a couple of people called us yeah, out. Rob, like, Rob took some what's your problem? in taunting us. You guys really suck at this game. We did. Screw you, Rob. Even Mike, like you did much better than me, and both, but both of us did pretty bad at that game. Well, compared to our listeners, yeah. Yeah. So she says, like I said, the scores don't actually measure anything. So I suppose I wish I'd realized that before I went and spent my Saturday night adding them up. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> so she says, a better competition, I think, would be the total number of games won. So Carrington just eked out that one too, 28 to 23. And she says that only adds up to 51 games total, but there was no score for the Play Choice 10 special show. I forgot all about that show, actually. Speaking of which, how about some more shows like that one? I'd love to hear a whole show on a single publisher or maybe a show about a big milestone cabinets. Anyway, I spent my Saturday night making a spreadsheet, so both of you now owe me a beer. <laughs> Very funny. Well, 
I lost, so Carrington's buying you the beer. Uh, yeah, no, you lost, so you have to pay. That's how no, it works. She, well, she's banned. She no longer exists. She's right, as far though. As I'm concerned. Our intention is to do some special shows. We're setting up a really interesting one that will have a, a few people on it, and Mike and I would like to do some special shows that are a little outside the norm. We're going to stick with the normal format where we're picking a game and delving into it deep, but we're going to do a few special type things as well coming up. I even tried to push you into one a couple of weeks back that you just poo pooed. And- Did I? Poo poo poo. Yeah, I brought up Neo Geo, and you were like, um, no. Oh, I think, in fact, somebody wrote recently, we shouldn't dismiss Neo Geo. We, I think we got feedback this week or last week about somebody saying yeah, it's not all the same Yeah, I suggested, hey, sort of we could talk about Neo Geo, and you're like, nah. My problem is my prejudice. <laughs> Probably, Obviously. I have this bias where I think of Neo Geo games as all being the exact same. It's Metal Slug and 10,000 versions of Metal Slug. Like, and I know I'm wrong, but... I think I have to be I have to be shown that I'm wrong. We got to just sort of do it or dive in or do maybe a one or two Neo Geo games that are not Metal Slug. And which is funny because I've never actually played Metal Slug. So you <laughs> think I wouldn't be so biased. Metal Slug is one of the actually one of the the few later side scrolling shooter games that I do enjoy. But see, so I'm a very complicated man. It's hard to know what you're what I like. You're not complicated, you're Canadian. <laughs> That makes me complicated. (laughs) So uh, let's see. Oh, we had a fellow write in where we can't use his real name because he's still in the industry. And it lets him, um, he does things on on YouTube and lets him be a little more forthright about stuff. Um, So we're not going to say his name. He's got a handle we can use, uh, Gamma Dev. So he says, I just discovered your podcast. I've been binge listening to past episodes and I'm hooked. You guys have great taste in games. I'm looking forward to your upcoming episodes. In your Food Fight episode, you mentioned the problems with the controls under main. I find that using an analog stick on an Xbox 360 controller to work quite well, but you have to set it up properly in the main control panel. For no hassle setup, this game is also available in Game Room for the Xbox 360. The programmers did a great job mapping the controls. Then he goes on a bit and talks about how, uh, speaking of Food Fight, we should consider doing a whole show just on General Computing Corporation. You mentioned a little of their history, but you left off some of the bigger parts. These guys not only turned a lawsuit by Atari into a long-term job, they also successfully sold their Pac-Man speed-up kit to Valley Midway that became Ms. Pac-Man. Goes on about the other things that they created in ports and stuff like that. And uh, He also gives us a suggestion for a future episode uh, to do one on an iRobot. We've actually had a few people write in to suggest that, so I think it's on the list, definitely. says it's the first shaded polygon game and it's uh, quite nice once you wrap your head around it. And he also guessed that the next week's game would be Congo Bongo. So well done. And we'll have a link to his stuff. He does him and another fellow do some YouTube videos. And I like it because he he goes as by Gamma Dev and his friend is it's E-W-H-A-C, which is the name of the channel. I think it's EWAC, as you pronounce it, I guess. But he says, him and his friend are lifelong gamers. In fact, EWAC was even a contestant on the old Starcade TV show. Oh, nice. And they grew up to, they went to on to work in the game industry. And currently their videos are 3DO games, um, because that's where they, they met and worked on that. And he says, how can you tell you're getting old when something you worked on is now considered retro? Yeah, no kidding. So, yeah. And so yeah, they're really good videos. I look at them. They have those, lots of those Let's Play videos for 3DO and also some videos from older California extremes that I like looking through. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Totally cool. Gamma Dev, if you have any game titles out there that we could play, you don't, we don't necessarily have to talk about them if you don't want to, but send them to me so that I can look at them and then insult you and get you on the show as an interview. <laughs> That's how we roll, man. That's right. I think we should look at two more because we got two more that I think were some of the Really, really good email. Dan wrote in. He's written in before as well on Facebook. And he talked about how uh, his high school is near the Westgate Mall. And it features Anchor Store Arcade for adolescents 
Aladdin's Castle. We had a couple of people write in about Aladdin's Castle things. And he said the arcade is literally the first shop one encounters when taking the entrance close to the high school. Now, that is intelligent branding, I think, on, on their <laughs> part. That just makes sense. So he wrote about his his first experiences with it. Uh, it says, one day a new cabinet shows up and gets a central place on the floor. The scheme in this arcade is to more the older games in a row towards the back to make room for the new models. The cabinet has a unique design. It allows multiplay with up to four players. My teenage self is jaded as Paperboy had come out the year before, and I can see uh, the new unusual cabinet trend. 720 and Rampage are still a year off. I have to admit my memory suggests I spent a lot of quarters supporting the new cabinet design and multiplay ideas. I looked at the new cabinet, making my mind up, very medieval in theme and sort of nailing a D&D motif. And as a D&D aficionado myself, I am all in at this point. It's the video game equivalent of a D&D multiplay. And I know in my young heart that now finally someone who wouldn't normally get it is going to see why I spend so much time in the D&D books. The idea of a cooperative mission affecting the storyline. I don't know if that idea is true, but that's what I believe when I see the game. So of course the game he's talking about is gauntlet so he says shortly after sacrificing my first quarter something happens the game talks to me remember don't shoot food that was it <laughs> i was hooked i would seek out this quarter sucker for the next year uh, the voice was hypnotizing very intelligible computerized speech synthesis that made other games look a little feeble it was cool uh, i was going to enjoy this gauntlet game and he's right like that's the thing when i think back to gauntlet it's elf needs food badly it's that iconic voice talking to you and it is really the epitome of a quarter sucker game though victor marlin actually wrote on facebook in response to the brian colin interview on the last show he said i certainly enjoyed the interview if other people liked it they'd probably also like the lecture ed log did on gauntlet a while back uh, he said i expect it's on youtube somewhere and what he's talking about is ed did a gdc postmortem that they do every oh, year nice. yeah. at the, the GDC 2012, where he talks about Gauntlet. I couldn't find the video anywhere. I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but Pixelatron.com has an article that has slides from his presentation, and it has a lot of in, internal design documents, photos of memos about the game design. Oh, Interesting nice. stuff. Yeah, so I'll make sure we get a link to the Pixelatron site, and I'll try to track down the, the postmortem. Then. Those videos are usually available somewhere. Somebody I'm sure it's out there. I, I haven't spent very long digging around for yeah, it. Yeah, so I'll try to track that down and make sure that's in the, the show notes. And I think um, one last one. We got a, another great email from uh, Nils, who's, who's written in before. I have many, many wonderful arcade memories, but probably my favorite among them would be the first time my friend Jake and I beat Double Dragon. I don't know when it was, probably 1987 or 1988, but it was a Friday after school. We had gotten our allowances and then turned them into quarters. Well done. And we made a trek to a 7-Eleven that was not really near our houses, but we would make the trip for the games that they had there. We had each played it before, but had never beaten the first stage. That day, we were on a mission, determined to see the end of the game. We stood there dumping quarter after quarter, beating up digital street thugs one after another. Mm. Stage after stage until we reached the final boss, and we narrowly beat the machine gun wielding boss. We cheered. Then felt victory turned to disappointment and betrayal as the game told us to fight each other. And my friend <laughs> sucker punched me, which killed me as I only had a tiny bit of life left. <laughs> but I do remember having a feeling of pride and accomplishment on our walk back to Jake's house, where we would spend the night flipping through late night cable TV, looking for things we weren't supposed to see. 
Oh, that is that is so awesome. awesome. And I wish that I had the opportunity to sucker punch you when we were doing <laughs> I just love like it's that. like, we're gay. Hold on, we have to fight each other. And I like how he pauses <laughs> and his friend just sucker punches him. And he says, P.S. If Pitfall 2 and Donkey Kong had a love child, it would be this week's game, Congo Bongo. So great email. We got a lot of great. In fact, we got way more that we're, we don't have time to read, but I'm going to write back to people. We got lots of great email like that this week. I really appreciate the feedback this week in particular. It was just fantastic. Definitely. We did have a couple of interesting things on Twitter that should probably be mentioned. Hit me. Last week, we'd mentioned Retro Mame Arcade Guys. At the time, they had only put out one episode of their Mame-based podcast. They tweeted us and saying, thanks so much for the shout-out about our Mame-based podcast. We've been getting lots of love. Well, thank you for listening, Retro Mame Arcade. We like what you're doing. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I love that it's it's such a different thing than most of us who are doing arcade things where we're talking about games, and they're actually talking about Mame setup and you know really makes it stand out. So I, I'm eagerly awaiting more episodes. Indeed. Well, should we pick a winner? I think we should. So we got tons of feedback this week, but by my count, looking at everything we got on Facebook, on Twitter, on email, I think... Only 16 of these count towards the contest, where they specifically were talking about a an arcade memory versus other sorts of feedback. So we're going to whittle it down to those 16. So it's a, a low score, which means everybody has a very good chance of winning. Should we Great. do the normal? I've got everybody in here that I that I think counts in a little spreadsheet. Do you want to pick a random number and I'll, I'll do the mod thing and pick a name? Sure. We should mention that we're not obviously going to read every one of these on the air right now because that would be a very long show. Yes. Uh, what we're going to do is set up a little page where they will all be posted and we'll uh, allow comments and things like that. So if we didn't read yours, it's not because we didn't love it. It's just that we we're kind of limited on time. So Right. Yeah, just because a lot of the ones we got were really, really long, but still so good. So, Mike, pick a random name so you can we can draw them out of a virtual hat. Jason. <laughs> I made a, chase, a random number. <laughs> Oh, uh, 16. <laughs> 16. That's good. Okay. So that one. And so that gives us Sean. Sean, who tells me written by email. So congratulations, Sean. Let me see. You know what? Let's read a bit of Sean's. It's so, all these were so good. Go right Sean in. writes, and congratulations, Sean. So here's why you won. First off, I know this is, oh, Sean lives close to their underground retrocade. So I guess this also saves us uh, shipping. <laughs> like, Even better. <laughs> so it says, first off, I know this is a random drawing, but the reason I should be randomly chosen, <laughs> the underground retrocade was having a screening of this movie, but I couldn't go because I was out of town. No. Anyway, I think my favorite arcade memory was actually the first time I went to the underground. Oh my God. This sounds like we totally did this one on purpose. <laughs> Yeah, it, but we didn't though. It's just a coincidence. Uh, Sorry, Sean, you, we can't let you win. <laughs> so I went because I saw an entry on Orcade and saw that they had a Junior Pac-Man Turbo, which I never knew existed. I'm a huge Pac-Man fan, and I especially love the Turbo variations. Well, so far the only Turbo I played is Miss Pac-Man, but I'd love to find a Turbo version of the original too. So I drove uh, an hour up the interstate to the underground with two goals. One, break my Ms. Pac-Man Turbo record of around 333,000. And two, try out Junior Pac-Man Turbo. Sadly, it just wasn't my night to beat my Ms. Pac-Man record. However, the first time I played Junior Pac-Man Turbo, I obviously got much further than I ever could with the regular version. But I saw that the arcade's high score record was around 232,000 according to the little card on top of the machine. And the Orcade.com world high score was not much more. Well, my score was awfully close to 232,000. So I figured if I tried again a few times, I could easily set the house record, especially because once you hit the root beer level, the seventh and last maze, rather than getting a random prize, like on Ms. Pac-Man after the banana level, the prize is always the 5,000 point root beer. So the more root beers you gobble up, the quicker you can rack up a nice score. I started playing another game of Junior 
Pac-Man Turbo, once again, doing quite well. In fact, I saw the seventh maze probably three times before long. I surpassed the 232K house high. Then before long after that, the world record. Yes. After my game ended with a score of around 292,000, I waved Scott Lambert over to the machine so he could update his records. He shook my hand and asked for my arcade username. Man, I was excited. My first visit to an arcade, an arcade that quickly became my favorite. Again, it sounds like we're plugging our sponsor. (laughs) It really does. I don't know if we can use this, man. Uh, so it uh, gives me the world record on the second time I ever played the game. I want to call someone and share the news. My wife doesn't really give a darn about video games. We're soulmates, but one of the things that we don't share is a classic video game edition. So I called my friend and it goes on to say how excited he was at this. But I get home, walk the dog and then checked arcade.com and found that I was not the world record holder. Somebody had Aww. actually beaten the score I had achieved, but it was so recent that Scott didn't yet have a chance to update the card on top of the machine. <laughs> And the next day, someone beats my 292K score at the Underground Retrocade. So 15 hours after I set the record, somebody already beat it, knocking me down to the third score. And within a week, I was down to number five. And last I checked, I was down to number 13. (laughs) I'll tell you what, being number 13 uh, for any kind of high score, world record high score, is pretty darn awesome anyway. Yeah, but still kind of really funny. And he goes, I've got the high score. Wait, no, I don't. Oh, wait, no, I'm five. Now I'm 13. So very, very funny. And also, you know, actually, I'm really happy that somebody who's actually been to our sponsor won. So nice. Well, well, well chosen you. That's right. Sean, you can go ahead and send your check directly to Carrington. <laughs> He'll split it with me. <laughs> yes. Um, so we'll, we'll coordinate with, uh, with Scott about getting you the copy sent to you of the uh, Blu-ray for the Space Invaders. And thank you so much, everybody who entered. And thank you in particular to our sponsor for, for paying for the whole thing. Sean could probably just stop by the stop by there and pick it up. I think he should have to play for it. <laughs> That's what I think. Um, so again, this week, tons and tons of great feedback. I really appreciate it. Like just as you were talking, and I was ignoring you and reading another email. As one should. This email seems particularly pertinent to a couple of topics that we've already talked about. So I think I should bring it up before we move on. Bring it up. This is from Yuri in the Netherlands. Cool. Uh, he's been listening. He's listened to all fifty-two of our episodes while he was building his very own arcade. I wonder if he means arcade machine. I live in the Netherlands and the arcades were never a big thing here, so I missed a lot of games that I'm going to make for, make up for now. Mostly, I wanted to use my machine as a Neo Geo machine. Aha! Uh-huh. You and I have a huge problem when it comes to appreciating more <laughs> modern games. He says, Puzzle Bobble, Magical Drop, Go Go, Mile, Smile, Aqua Rush, Windjammers, Tetris, The Grandmaster, and many more are just awesome. Not everything on Neo Geo or comparable machines is Metal Slug or a Fighter by a long shot. <laughs> it's so funny because I was just saying that. Oh, and Metal Slug is an amazing game with a great, albeit implicit, story. It's like he was listening to us live. That's awesome. (laughs) Very meta. That moment when your enemies start helping you fight the alien invasion, and when you get an overview of the areas you just visited, and there's only native citizens left crying, both heart-wrenching and poignant. But all of that is just me being petty. Uh, thank you, Yuri. I'm going to take the prize away from Sean and give it to you. (laughs) No, you're not. (laughs) That's really good feedback, though, and I do think it is... I'm being too close-minded when it comes to Neo Geo stuff because Puzzle Bobble is actually, I forgot that that was Neo Geo and I actually liked that game quite a bit. He mentions at the end here that his current Tapper High score is 55,275. I forget what ours was. I don't think it was nearly that Probably that four. Uh, oh, and he does have a, he does have a, a Reddit for his own arcade. Oh, nice. Um, so it looks like, oh no, he's building a, a main bar top. I love to link to and look at people's main builds. It's always a great way to get ideas for something you can do on your own. And if you follow the link from, from Reddit, he goes through step-by-step step on how he built the bar top. Really neat if you want to build one of your own. Very nice. Very nice. Yep, yep, yep. 
All right, so I guess that brings us to this week's game, which is Donkey Kong. <laughs> no, this week's game is Congo Bongo. It's the same thing. It's kind of at the beginning, sort of the same <laughs> thing, yes. 1983 game by Sega. I say, Jordan, welcome to the Congo, where you are in hot pursuit of Bongo the Gorilla, climbing up steep cliffs, jumping across waterfalls, avoiding treacherous coconuts, and on the upper cliffs, jumping up and down to keep the monkeys off your back before they gang up on you and throw you over. Once you reach the top, you can move on to Snake Lake, Rhino Ridge, and Lazy Lagoon. Congo Bongo, it's a bloody good adventure, mate. Oh, boy. I've got a flyer here from Sega describing it. It says, Bongo the Ape, presumably Donkey Kong's third cousin, sets your... Is he allowed to say that? Hmm. Uh, sets Probably your toes on time, fire. Yes. Yeah, well, well they could yours. sue that out of existence. Totally, yeah. yeah. So sets your, fire, your toes on fire while you're asleep during a jungle expedition. So naturally, you drop everything to take revenge on the goofy gorilla. But first, you have to reach him. The first level is a hazardous assortment of ramps and levels and a waterfall to jump across. Be careful of the pesky little monkeys who can weigh you down so you move slower and jump lower and watch out for snakes. Then you have to hop across various islands and dodge more snakes as you try to get across a river. The most difficult level is the third level. That's weird that they say that because I don't think, oh, actually, you know what? It is the most difficult where you must try to dodge charging rhinos, occasionally ducking out of their sight in little sinkholes where you get to squash other critters. The fourth level is very Frogger-like. You know what? This must not be an official Sega thing. Consisting of riding across another river on the backs of hippos, fish, and lily pads. When you complete this screen, you set Bongo's toes on fire as he sleeps, and then the whole thing starts again. So basically, you play a a vengeful safari hunter. God, he looks almost anime-like to me when he would do his little V sign. Yeah, you basically get one level of an isometric Donkey Kong ripoff, and then three levels of Frogger ripoff. So I'm sensing some negativity here. (laughs) It's terrible. I think you're totally wrong. And you're right that it's isometric. I mean, really what jumps out about this game right away is that that thing that I call fallout view or what we saw in Zaxxon where everything's tilted a bit and, and angled a bit. So it's isometric, which I always find makes every game harder. Isometric to me just means it's going to be harder than it would be otherwise. I'll be the first to admit that I'm not good at isometric games in general. I did okay with Zaxxon simply because it had that shooting workaround built in where if you just held the trigger down, you could sort of see where you were flying. Mm. But with Qbert and things, as I'm playing, I'm trying to remember if I pull down on the stick, does he go down left or down right? And that really became a problem in this game, especially at, at the top of the first level. There's a little platform where all the little monkeys are running around and you have to kind of shake them off and try to jump across the river to get up to where the ape is. If three of them get on you, they'll carry you over the edge and toss you off. That happened to me after a number of playthroughs, and that was the moment I got hooked on the game. I thought that was hilarious because I didn't think it was going to happen because I had individual or one or two monkeys on me. Everyone's like, it happens, no big deal. And then that third monkey came on me and they overpower you, lift you up and throw you over the edge. I thought that was hilarious. But as I'm trying to figure out how to get across the river, I'm trying to remember if I push to the left, Mm. will that jump me or if I push up? And I've talked about this plenty in the past. It's a bad game design element when difficulties with the controls are why your game is hard. I do agree. Yeah, I'll have that same problem, which do I press left or do I press up? And yeah. Right. And and if you've designed your game to be difficult that way, you suck as a designer. (laughs) Okay, well, that means the designer of Congo Bongo will be interviewed by you next week. (laughs) (laughs) I doubt it very much. I do agree. Like, I I struggle with isometric stuff because of that, because it's not as natural to me pulling down means go down and to the left and all sometimes the muscle memory changes i found on this what i did was i actually tilt my controller 
uh, almost 45 degrees. So I'm actually moving the control in the direction that I want the character to move. And then I find it gets rid of it. A little. You can't really do that with a, with a stand-up machine, but I'm able to do it when I'm on my X-Arcade. Yeah, and that seemed to work for me when I play Hubert. But for whatever reason, I didn't have much more luck doing it with Congo Bongo. There's so much random stuff going on there that it feels like if I'm making any progress in the game at all, it's just because I got lucky, not because I'm continuing to play and getting better at it. Now, I know that's obviously not the case because there are a lot of really good players at this game out there, and they've probably practiced and figured it all out, but it was a frustrating, annoying experience, and, and after a while, I just I switched it over to the cheap mode just so that I could see what it would be like after I think I made it to... Yeah, I, I couldn't get past the Rhino level. The Rhino level is, for me, the hardest level, definitely. And I, so I switched it to to the Infinite Lives cheat. Now, there's another one oh. that's the the no clip where you can like just walk through stuff. <laughs> really? Okay. But I was playing with the the Infinite Lives, and I got as far as the isomet the level one on the second time through. And there's the the point where you have a bridge, and there's a snake on it, and there's two or three coconuts coming down on you, and there's monkeys coming at you. And I was never able to get past that, even cheating. Yeah, I found the second time through, the difficulty does ramp up quite a bit because it adds that the two snakes. And also, the way you jump over, you seem to slide down the little slidey ramp on the first level faster, and you have to sort of pull back to stop yourself from skidding right over the edge when you jump past the snakes. So that, that point got me a bunch of times. The first time you go up, there's a little green monkey at the bottom of that that stops you from going over the edge. And you That's why off. the monkey's there. You hit him and you knock him over. It never occurred to me. Of course, he's there as a break. I couldn't oh. figure out the difference between the green monkeys and the brown ones. Nope. And the green monkey will come back and be walking on the top. And I kept thinking, what do I do with it? Can I bump him? Do I do something with him? And I couldn't figure Doesn't that out. Doesn't seem to make a difference other than maybe just color variation, yeah. which makes sense. You'd mentioned the, the rhino level being the hardest for you. And that was very difficult because it's, it's sort of easy to, once you figure out the rhythm of the rhinos to jump over when you've got plenty of space seeing the them coming the at you. As you move up and to the right, which is where you have to go to climb up to the platform where the ape is, it gets very cramped. Right. That's exactly where I would always die is right there. Because a lot of games, when there's things that can hit you and kill you, and there's a ledge, say, that you can climb up, as soon as you start climbing, you're safe. But here it's not the case. So all the time, my character would be climbing up and a rhino, rhino would hit me when I was halfway clone and it just it was so frustrating like that moment killed me more than any other moment because i would feel like okay i've made it now that i'm climbing i should be yanking my feet up quickly and the rhinos can't touch me but that's not the case you actually need to a a lot enough time to be able to climb up and it would hit me over and over i died at that that spot really frustrating not only do they come running into that little corner where there's not a lot of space to move around but that's where they spawn from too so you could you could be up there and think you're clear and one will just appear and it's it's hit you but I found it funny. Like the game has all these little things that I I thought were just charming. If I like when you finish a level, you do the little peace sign and he looks so happy and Yeah, see I think I was too annoyed to, to notice most of that stuff. I like the look of the characters, that the monkeys were funny. I thought the rhinos were actually funny with the little horns and they'd angrily snort and then charge. I the game was making me laugh. When you talked about not being safe when you were climbing up, yeah. once you get to the second level and I assume beyond that, you start with a green monkey down at the bottom of the screen. And as you're climbing up, he will pull you back down off that ledge. Well, he's a mean monkey. He is. I was annoyed by the second screen where you're there's like little platforms and they're kind of separated by this running water system. And you have the little the dirt bridges that you have to cross and there are snakes coming at you. Yes. If you are not lined up perfectly right, the snake will get you even if you clear it, jumping it. Yeah, and you will 
uh, you can also just walk off the edge. If you don't line yourself up right and you try to walk or try to jump, you just jump into the water. So that would happen to me sometimes too. That's the kind of thing that I, I think is sort of poor game design. But I liked it because I found you can sucker the snakes. You stand there, you get on it, you wait, they'll make a hissing noise to come at you. To me, it felt fair. Where I would get nailed on that second one is you get past all the snakes and then there's this hippo that you have to jump on to cross. Make the hippo so sort of like a rock you'll use to jump over. But the hippo moves and will sink sometimes. So very frequently, like if you can really quickly get past that level, you'll get to the end at a point where the hippo is not ready for you and you have to stand there and the snakes will get you. So Once I figured out the snake stuff, that level, I never died on that one. Ooh, aren't you fancy? <laughs> I never had the hippo sink on me because I just jumped on it across. And this, there's this weird thing, like the first level is hard. The second one is very easy. The third one is the rhino level, which is, which very, is hard. very hard. And then the next one is the frogger level, which is very easy. Yeah, I, I found I found the easiest level definitely is the second one. I, I thought the lazy lagoon, I think it is the frogger level, the fourth one was about the same difficulty as the first level, but definitely was the case that level two is the easiest and level three is the hardest. So very inconsistent. And as, as I'm sure that, that you're figuring out as we're talking about this, this is mostly just me whining because the game is a lot harder than I wanted it to be and it wasn't fun. So I liked it because generally, as we will know, looking over our scores from the last year, I love arcade games. Stop it. But I kind of, well, I kind of suck at them. You do too, because my scores beat you. But the reality is neither of us are hardcore gamers. We've been called out a few times. That we're not, we love these games, but it's not a big achievement to beat our scores, to be honest. <laughs> like, but it doesn't matter. Games are fun even if you're not great at them. It's about just, do you get enjoyment out of playing them? And it's usually the case that when it comes to like platforms, like something like Donkey Kong, I am horrendously terrible i'm embarrassingly bad at donkey kong and and donkey kong jr in particular it's terrible how bad i am it just looks like i had a blow to the head i play them so badly so this is the kind of game i normally shouldn't be able to get off the first level i should be terrible at it and i found for some reason i was clicking i was doing okay i could i could run all four levels a few times through i was very surprised i think that's one of the reasons i enjoy this game so much is the first time i've encountered a new platformer that i'm actually kind of good at not great my score is not like oh my gosh look how amazing he is but i can actually get past all four levels and do it a few times and it just it made me thrilled <laughs> i love it you got to the point where it's no longer frustrating and you could play it and enjoy it no well yes yeah absolutely but it was still i never got to the point where i said oh i can go on autopilot and now go for a high score well no always there was a challenge and there was always a chance i would die foolishly the game is will we'll punish you if you make a mistake oh indeed so as you mentioned there are four different levels uh they're all named the first one is called the primate peak which is the donkey kong level the player must travel to the top of a hill while avoiding coconuts being thrown by a large gorilla, obviously. Uh, also walking around the levels are several small monkeys who attempt to grab the player. They can be shaken off by jumping in place, but if three of them attach you, over the hill you go. Uh, next was Snake Lake, which is the one that I complained about having to line up for the snakes. This is a grassland level that is connected to a series of square platforms with thin pathways between them. You must avoid scorpions on the grass, snakes on the platform, and time movement with the hippos in order to complete the level. Again, that was the easiest. Then we have Rhino Ridge, which takes place in a wide-open savanna environment where the player needs to navigate around rhinos charging in different directions. Stepping in the puddles results in death, but you can hide in the empty holes. Rhinos can also be jumped over. And finally, we have Lazy Lagoon. This level most closely resembles Frogger, and the player must cross a body of water by walking on and off various lily pads, logs, hippos, and large fish. Once you've completed all four screens, the game starts over and the difficulty increases. See, for me, I found there were a couple of paths that I started taking all the time. Like for Snake Lake, I would go 
up and around to the uh, left. Yeah, and I found too. that that was the easiest way. And for the Rhino Ridge, I stopped trying to hide in those stupid holes because it was so easy to to yeah, climb in and then start way. climbing accidentally back out again and you sticking up and the rhino would hit you. So those holes were useless for me. Instead, I would just go to the bottom of the screen, race up really quickly to the top and then try to time it so I could jump over one rhino and then climb up. And I found by just trying to get off that level as fast as possible, minimize my chance of dying. I had the same problem with the holes because it's not a in the hole, out of the hole position. You're, it's not a one or a zero. There are several movements that the sprite has to go through to get you out of the hole. And it's like you said, it's easy to get stuck and run over. And I, that, and did nothing that I didn't like. I think that was bad game design. It shouldn't be that you're like slowly climbing in. And at any point other than the bottom, you're still can be hit by the rhino because then as soon as you get to the bottom, any movement immediately starts climbing you back up and you're sticking out. You, so there's, there's only this tiny little point in the middle that you're safe from the rhinos and it just wasn't worth it. It should be when you come near it, you immediately drop in and then stay there until you hit the joystick again. I, I wish that had been designed differently, but the rest of the game I have less of an issue with because I found it funny and charming and, and it made me laugh. I just wanted to punch it. <laughs> So I read through on strategywiki.org, there's a nice uh, sort of a strategy guide and a walkthrough that also gave me some tips for each of the four levels, but mostly it was just sort of telling you what to not touch and where to go. So it doesn't really give a lot of help, but we'll, we'll link to it anyway. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of specific patterns that you could do like a maze game, but there were a few areas that seemed to behave consistently when you moved into them. Right. So despite being a commercial failure when it was released, as it should have been. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, there was an article in Time Magazine from October 17th, 1983 about the video game crash where Congo Bongo was listed as a commercial. As the cause. It was the cause of the crash of 1983. Right. <laughs> However, it was ported to pretty much every platform out there. The SG-1000, the MSX, and television, ColecoVision, Commodore 64, the IBM PC, all the Atari platforms. I think it was on the VIC-20, too. And this is a game, if I remember, that... It was on a lot of platforms that were relatively low end in the period, like low end graphically, even though things I love. So you got the VIC-20, the, the 2600, that kind of stuff, the Intellivision. The low resolution versions of these games have just horrendous graphics. It's just terrible looking. <laughs> uh, just you look at if you look at the images, the screenshots of, of some of these ports, and some look quite nice, like the ColecoVision version, but for the most part, they are awful looking ports. I don't know what the gameplay is like, but terrible graphics. Well, I imagine that the designers were faced with the choice of either changing the perspective or cutting the graphics in order to get good performance, because I know that uh, on those early platforms, isometric stuff really took took a big hit out of the CPU. Right. It sounds like they decided to sacrifice it so that at least they tried to maintain the look. Because I would have gone the other way. I think I would have sacrificed the isometric and said, you know what? Screw it. We're just going to do a Donkey Kong perspective and here's Congo Bunga, which I think would be a, just as fun of a game, frankly. Well, you jump in your DeLorean and go tell them. I shall. In addition to having been released widely on home platforms, Congo Bongo is one of those games that keeps getting re-released as part of your best of collections and unlockable uh, Easter eggs and things like that, even today. Uh, if you want it, there's plenty of ways to play it. I still think if you're going to play this game, MAME is probably the easiest and best way to do it. I think so, too, and, and definitely the best-looking version. On Twitter, Dan Beeston had written us to say, Congo Bongo, I forgot that even existed. I used to kill that on the PC. And mainly I'm bringing that up because I don't think we had mentioned it was also a PC booter, but I'm also bringing it up just so I have an excuse to link to his podcast because it's so good. <laughs> so <laughs> Him and Gregoire do a podcast called Smart Enough to Know Better. That's one of my all-time favorites. So it gives me an excuse to promote it because it's such a good podcast. Nice. <laughs> I'm sneaky that way. <laughs> so what kind of hardware 
you're right that isometric stuff generally takes a bit of a bit of muscle to run it. Do you know what what this ran on in the arcade? Well, it's funny you should ask him. It is funny. <laughs> I'm so humorous. It used two Z80 CPUs. The first one at 3.072 megahertz. The second one clocked at two megahertz, and it used an SN76489 audio chip at four megahertz. Standard arcade video resolution for the time: 256 by 224 vertical, and it used a uh, 256 colors. The cabinet is fun. I like it. It's it's brown. The main thing when you look at one of these cabinets <laughs> is it jumps out like it's got a brownness to it. <laughs> like it's, so it's very very brown. It's got nice looking, very cartoony side art. I like the bright yellows and oranges and greens of the art in general. Like I like the bezel. I like the the marquee. But I particularly like the control panel. I mean, it's a simple control. Obviously, you've got the one four way joystick and then one button. Well, technically two buttons, but it's the same button on either side. Just your jump button. But it's got really nice cartoony palm tree looks. So it's like a, like a Congo look to it. I think it's a really pleasant looking cabinet. If kind of very standard in its shape. Like if you were to sketch out the very angular shape of an iconic cabinet, it looks like one of those. Like there's nothing going on here cabinet wise that makes the the cabinet something special or collectible. The XCD guide says typically you'll pick one up for 200 to 400, but I couldn't find any for sale in the last year or so for less than 300. And those were pretty junked up. So, and I've had lots of up to like 800, which is crazy. I don't know why there's nothing so special about this that would go for so much. It's something where the, just the board is available a lot. So I think a lot of these got junked and their boards are floating around. So you can pick up the board often for your know, 40, 50 bucks. It might be the case that you assemble your own or something or, but it seems like it'd be easy to, to fix or repair one because the Lots of the boards are floating around quite cheap, but the cabinets are a little harder to come by. Was there a cocktail or uh, anything like that? You know, I don't know. All I could find was the the standard upright. So I I would presume by this point there would have been a cocktail, but I I didn't see any mention of one and I didn't see any. So that's funny. You know, it never even occurred to me. So I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. I'm going to guarantee that there there wasn't. I dare you listeners to prove me wrong. Uh, The game was released as Tip Top in Europe. Tip Top? That's an odd name. Congo Bongo's better. And if you're like me and you don't like this game, but you like the name Congo Bongo, <laughs> there is a private vacation house rental company in Manzanillo called Congo Bongo. Well, there you go. <laughs> so if you're ever, ever visiting Costa Rica, check them out. And, and do they have a Congo Bongo game there? I imagine every that, suite comes with one. <laughs> do you have to walk on 45-degree <laughs> angles? Have they laid out their street grid isometrically? Mess the, you the, up uh, when you're trying the to drive? Is that, the concierge throws coconuts at you as you're walking in. <laughs> so, Mike, I think it's time for us to talk scores. <sighs> and I'm eagerly awaiting this moment because I posted a screenshot on Flickr from not my high score, but a pretty decent game I had just to oh, see you, if I could go you in. One, yeah. And I got nothing. <laughs> got well, no response. It's because my high score was nowhere anywhere near that. <laughs> The screenshot that you posted was more than sufficient to to well, get me into the dark. I best I, I bested that. So my for the week, the the best I could do this week, and this gets me, I think, three or three and a half times through all the levels, is I got eighty six thousand eight hundred and twenty. So eight six eight two zero was my my best score of the week. And I frequently would get in the sixty to seventy thousand range. So that seems to be pretty typical. Oh, listen to you, Mr. High and Mighty Congo Bungle. I'm player. just delighted because if you compare this against the scores I normally get on a game of this sort, it's like ten times as much. So it's a score I'm not embarrassed about. Great. So, so let's talk about the high score. No, let's talk about your low score. <laughs> so how did you do, Mr. Well, getting, getting pinched off by those those rhinos every single time. <laughs> oh, the rhinos, they get me too. 
only got me to 9,610 points. That's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And what's even more embarrassing is when I was playing in cheat mode and getting stuck on that bridge with the snakes, that only got me to like 27,000 points. <laughs> so even in like infinite lives mode, I beat you? <laughs> yes, you did. Go ahead and go up. Well, you should have done the no clip thing. Didn't you say there was a no clip mode? I did. Yeah, I didn't I didn't switch to that one. I just watched some videos of Now, I did find in playing this in MAME, I don't know whether this is a MAME problem or if it would be like this in the original arcade, I saw a number of graphic glitches. Oh, I saw a bunch of those A bunch too. of times. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem to affect the collision detection. I never felt like a snake got me when it shouldn't have. I did find that sometimes I would fall off things and I would think I wasn't near the edge like that seemed to be a little iffy but maybe that's just because there were smaller targets than i thought but a bunch of times like the big monkey i can't remember his name mr bongo would like do his sideways scooch after you get to the top of the level and he would scooch and he would like scooch through the middle of rock like it wouldn't be it wouldn't be clipping right and so i found a a few times that kind of thing would happen you know i think the one-up actually has a congo bongo machine maybe i'll go check that out this week yeah and see if that was the case because you love this game as badly as you beat me, Carrington, you didn't even come close to the world record. Well, that's a familiar feeling. Held by Jason Cram and set on uh, July 21st, 2003, he scored 1,506,300 points. 2003? So that score stood for 10 years. Hmm. I think it's due for someone to take it down. And before that, it was uh, set in 1983 by Tim Cullum. Okay. So 10 more years, we'll do an every 20-year thing or something. I'll, I'll get right on that. All right, now I'm going to go ahead and forget that we ever played this game and that it even existed, and we'll just move on to next week's game. Does next week's game have sound? I'm afraid it does, Can you play some of that sound for me? I'm afraid I can, (laughs) Karen. Do it! Do it! Here you go. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in once again to another episode. Uh, we have a great time making these things, and uh, we hope that you enjoy listening. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to this as we head into year two. And thanks especially for everyone who wrote in the long email giving us arcade memories. I mean, just fantastic feedback this week. I really, really appreciate it. We'll make sure to get those posted as soon as possible. And, and I, I would like to once again thank our our sometime sponsor, uh, Scott Lambert of mm-hmm. the Underground Retrocade in Chicago. Make sure to check it out if you're visiting there. And I have already adjusted the website because we got a bunch of people saying, I'd love to send you email, but where can I find your email address? <laughs> so the uh, over on the No Quarter site where we host everything, there is now on each page a link to our Twitter feed, a link to the Facebook page, and a link to send us email. So it makes it easier to send us feedback. And if you go to the Facebook page, all of that's included in the, the header area as well. Easiest way to get in touch with us. Yep. Fantastic. Thanks a lot for podcasting with me, Mike. Thank you, Karen. I'll talk to you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Say, a funny thing happened when I started to play Congo Bongo. Hey, these nuts are crazy. Who are these guys? Hey, fellas, let's not get carried away. Oh, no. Maybe I'll go for a swim. On second thought, maybe I'll go for a walk. Hey, lady, this is a one-way street. Hey, that's the guy I've been looking for. Congo Bongo from Sega. It lasts a long, long time. been listening to no quarter the classic arcade podcast feedback can be sent to no quarter at monsterfeet.com and like all monster feet podcasts the original material in this show has been released to the public domain